what they called the law, and this brought on this great dissertation with so much meaning in it that it would be hard this morning for even two hours to get out of it what Jesus has poured in this scripture. On the surface, it looks like just a small thing, but Jesus never speaks uh, in any small way. So many things involved in it. And uh, the whole chapter would be good to read, but let's just read from the 30th verse. First, this young lawyer asked, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus set forth something that should challenge us all. And Jesus answering said, Certain man went down to Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. I'd like to ask Brother Larry Joyner, if he would, to stand and ask the blessing upon the reading of God's word, and to anoint my mind and yours this morning. Brother Larry. Jesus granted, hallelujah. Praise God. Everybody said amen. You'll notice at the beginning of the chapter, it talks about the 70 that Jesus... Uh, picked out and uh, sent out into the cities and roundabout and talked about him denouncing and talking about judgment on two cities, perhaps where they'd already been. And when they came back, they began to rejoice because the powers of hell had been subject to them. And uh, Jesus told them in no uncertain terms to not rejoice because of that, but rejoice because their names were written in heaven or in the Lamb's book of life. That seemed to be all throughout the teachings of Jesus, yet it is not necessarily the great deeds that we do or deeds great or small that we do. What we're striving for is to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Whatever our deeds are great or small, whatever God asks us to do, that we should do. But I noticed in the 25th verse of that same chapter, this certain lawyer seemed to want to ignore everything that Jesus had said, and immediately trying to catch him some way where they could accuse him, tempted him, and said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, Jesus won up on him, simply answered and said, Well, what's written in your law? How do you read your law? What, what's it say to you? And then, of course, he quoted out of Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, and he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, 
with all thy mind and thy neighbor ask thyself. And surprisingly enough, Jesus said, you've answered right, you do this and you will live. But like all humanity, he realized that he had come short. He realized that he hadn't really fulfilled the law and trying to justify himself on that portion that he knew he had failed, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And on the service it would seem as if Jesus was teaching him a lesson only as to who the neighbor is, that they should be no races whatsoever, no separation as far as religion or race is concerned. But a direct study of that shows that Jesus is speaking in parables. He takes this opportunity to speak a great mystery in an allegorical form, an allegory, of course, meaning a uh, meaning that's implied but not directly stated. And he takes this opportunity to tell these individuals that their old order is on the way out and uh, why it is on the way out and that a new order is coming in and why it is coming in and who is going to usher it in and after it's ushered in, who is going to take charge of this. All of this is hidden right directly in the words of the Scripture. Now, we've dealt with it on several occasions about uh, being an individualist traveling, uh, uh, the present-day ministering priests, so to speak, seemed to be unaware that they were there, and they came a certain Samaritan, and we all identified ourselves with the Samaritan as who we are when we go and ministering to the wounded and all this. But most of this is in direct contrast to what Jesus is trying to speak. First off, he wants us to understand that there is a journey, that every one of us is on the journey. Of course, this is not news to us. And he stresses that journey and says, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He uses those two cities simply because they are in direct contrast to one another. Where they begin from was Jerusalem. Historians all would uh, admit or speculate that at the time this parable was spoken or written, that Jerusalem outside of it was cold and barren and uh, desolate and uh, no place actually for an individual to be. But in contrast to that, 20 miles down the road, and I mean down from there, and I was there, and saw the difference between Jerusalem and Jericho at the time. Jericho, in contrast, was warm and was inviting and had trees bearing fruit and almost everything that you would picture as a Garden of Eden, that's exactly what you run into. And uh, Jesus was, in a sense, making a parallel from our journey, from uh, the cities of this earth, wherever we might we, into the kingdom of heaven. Let us to know that this earth is cold and it's bare and it's desolate. We're really looking for anything of any satisfaction in this world. We're not going to be able to find it. But in contrast, just a little piece down the road, and I firmly believe that this morning, that just a little piece down the road, there is a kingdom that Jesus is almost ready to usher in, and there is warmth and inviting, and trees, according to Revelation, bearing twelve manners of fruits, and no death there, and tears wiped away from her eyes, and all the sorrow, and all of these things that make this earth so cold and barren, just a little ways down the road, and he speculates that that and calls it Jericho, on down the road is an inviting warm place 
where the loving arms of our master is. Hallelujah. I know we get weary sometimes. I do. I know our heart aches sometimes. We look around the world. Seems like our hands are so short and so many things that we want to do and we look around and it's cold and it's barren and it's desolate. At best remember this. Just a little ways down the road is Jesus and the kingdom of God. And in this journey we're making, he's going to see that we get through on the other side. Jesus is trying to get us to realize this, painting it very plainly, making an allegory out of it, making a parallel as a journey from a cold, desolate part of Jerusalem down into the warmth of Jericho. And then he lets us know something else, that it's not always an easy journey. In fact, very seldom is it ever an easy journey, even yet today. When you travel that road, it's a lonely road. It uh, very, very seldom there's anything there. There's a lot of caves and there's cliffs on that road. And uh, there's a lot of thievery going on yet today. As we went down that road in the bus, we stopped at what they called might have been the inn. Uh, they were talking about, uh, Jesus talking about in this parable. And when you looked around, you hardly saw anybody. Maybe way over there someplace there would be a shepherd with some sheep, tending sheep. But for the most part, it was a desolate place. And there was still a lot of robbing, a lot of killing. In fact, the guide told us that just about a week before that, there had been a man making a journey by himself. And as he did, he was beaten, he was robbed, and even my own to death. And he said, this is something that happens frequently. Well, it happened more back then than it does today. But nevertheless, Jesus was saying that the road is going to be rough, it's going to be barren, it's going to be rocky. And he said it this way. He said there was a man traveling that road. Those individuals this morning, and listen to me, are you and I. We're on the road. We ought to be. I'll tell you one thing. I'm sick and I'm tired dwelling in a barren and a lonely and a desolate land. I want to see something where there's leaves on trees, thank God, and something inviting and something warm that would warm my cold soul and my cold body. And Jesus says, now this man, as he journeyed, fell among thieves. Now those thieves stripped him. They wounded him. They departed and left him half dead. Of course, he's letting us know right off that on this journey that we're making, Satan is always there. And he's always there hating us. Let's us know who the thief is in St. John 10. Or I believe it's 1010 10 said, The thief cometh but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. In other words, he said, On your journey, you ain't going to meet a thief. And he's coming for one reason, and that's to steal from you, and to kill you if he can, and to destroy you. But Jesus says, on the other hand, that's what he'd come for, and I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In a world filled with death, in a world where there is nothing but death, isn't it wonderful to hear the words of Jesus and says, I've come not to give death, but I've come to give you life. How many of you can lift your hands and say, thank God for life and that more abundantly? Thank God for life and that more abundantly. In other words, Jesus is saying the journey is going to be hard. There will be times uh, when the powers of hell will strip from you almost everything you've got, uh, when he'll kill you if he can at all. But listen to what Jesus says in St. Matthew 10:28. He says, don't fear him that's able to kill the body. 
but not able to kill the soul. In other words, there's limitation to the devil. He can bring death to this body, but this soul, this, this life principle that God has in control, he can't do anything about it. And he says, if you're going to be afraid of anybody, don't be afraid of the one that can just destroy this body, but fear the one that can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, he's saying, as you make the journey, as we're stripped sometimes of all our raven, and I've seen Christians fail, sorely fail and falling by the wayside, garments stripped from them in a sense, left there half dead, and uh, there seems to be no way out of it at all. And Jesus is saying, now, these things are going to happen. The enemy is your enemy. He's going to destroy you if he can, going to take whatever he can away from you, whatever God allows you to have. And he's saying, don't be afraid of him. I realize that's quite a challenge. I know it's hard for most of us to realize that because we're in the flesh. But he qualifies that statement and says, after he has destroyed your body, taken everything that you have, you still have the ability by his power to keep intact that thing which is ever abiding, which is the life principle, the soul, or the spirit. And he says, now I am the one, the only one that can destroy that. Are you glad this morning that the devil can't destroy? They can't destroy only this body. Now, he destroyed that by sin. Everyone that's living here is going to die one of these days, unless Jesus comes. But Jesus says, now, on your journey, as you're going someplace, you're going to meet thieves. They're going to be there to try to destroy you. They're going to waylay you. They're going to lay you bare and low and going to leave you for death. But he's saying, don't you be afraid of those thieves, because what really counts, I still have in my control. What really counts, I still have in my control. I'll tell you one thing, as I uh, begin to get a little grayer and lose a little bit of hair and begin to march down on the end of my time and destiny and Jesus hasn't come yet, it makes me fully aware that one of these days perhaps I will go to the grave. And I begin to think seriously on these things and it sometimes, I, I have to raise up out of my chair when I'm sitting there or out of my bed sometimes and lift my hands and say, thank God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost that is abided within me that gives me eternal life. And though the devil destroys this body, there is no possible way he can take from me that which God has given me. I can give it to him, and many people have. But he goes on to say, Now a priest comes by and saw him and passed by on the other side. And then verse 32 says, A Levite came and looked on him and passed on the other side. Now, in order to get what Jesus is trying to say, we've got to realize that these priests and Levites, of course Jericho was a city of priests and Levites, about 12,000 of them uh, lived in Jericho, and made a trip every once in a while to Jerusalem. But these individuals were guardians and ministers of the Father's house in that old order. And Jesus was showing in this parable how selfish, how unconcerned, how without compassion, how without holiness and love this order had disintegrated too. In other words, he had said often, and Jesus spent three years and a half trying to tell those people that this order was on its way out and there was another one coming in and he never could get them to see that. And he took this opportunity to show them just how it disintegrated the house 
of God actually really was because of these guardians and ministers there. And he was saying because of this attitude, because they were like they were, their very reason for existence was soon going to be gone. And uh, he, let them, he let them know without any shadow of a doubt that in less than uh, half a century, and I think we'll find that in St. Luke thirteen thirty four, what Jesus said about this order uh, become a stark reality. When he stood that day, and you know as well as I do the Scripture where he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Thou which killeth the prophets, and stoneth them that are sent unto me, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. And then he says something. They didn't recognize it then, but he had said it in this parable. He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And he said, You won't see me anymore until you look up and say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. In other words, when he saw this, he pronounced judgment upon him. He said the Levites came. There wasn't any mercy there. The priests came. There wasn't any mercy there. And if there was any mercy in the land, it should have been in the hearts of these individuals. So mercy, grace, and compassion was a thing of the past. And Jesus was saying, now this old order is on its way out. But just like Jesus, he's saying, but there's a new order coming. Hallelujah. There's a new way of doing things that's coming in. And he qualifies that statement by saying, But a certain Samaritan saw him and had compassion on him. Now, for the most part, and I said it in the beginning, most of us have been willing to identify with this Samaritan. In fact, I have ministered, in a sense, oft times that the Samaritan was actually an individual or could be as a church. But when we search it out, we realize that the church doesn't have the qualifications to be identified with a Samaritan. And Jesus doesn't waste words. Whatever he says has a great meaning, has a near meaning, a far meaning, has a meaning re in relation to the answer of who is my neighbor. But more than anything else, it identified that day just who was going to usher in the new order, who it was going to be transferred to, and the difference that was going to be there. Who was this Samaritan? Wasn't an individual such as you and I, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, ready to go out and embrace or to love? Or oh, we'd like to think so. We'd like to think, well, the preachers have done it all wrong, or the denominational world has done it all wrong, and here we are. We're ready. We see them wounded and desolate and stripped of everything they have. And here we come rushing in. The Holy Ghost filled people, the Pentecost church, so to speak. We, we come rushing in, and we take care of them when nobody else cared. But really, do we qualify for that? Who was the Samaritan? Well, Scriptures tell us who it was, and certainly it wasn't us. We need to realize, oh, there's a place for us as a church before this parable will end. And I think sometimes if we as a church would quit trying to get what doesn't belong to us and grab hold of that which does belong to us, how we could do far more than we've ever done in the history of the survival of the church. Because there are certain things that this Samaritan done that I regardless of how much power of the Holy Ghost I have in my life, that I could not do, and neither can you, or neither can any of us as a unit and as a church. But Jesus was trying to get them to see something. John eight forty eight gives you an answer and said, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan 
and half a devil. Hallelujah. There's the Samaritan. Jesus was not talking about a church that was to be. He was not talking about a Holy Ghost that was to come. But He was talking about Himself, whom the world despised and hated, whom the world cared nothing about. And He said, A certain Samaritan came, and He identified Himself as that Samaritan. And He came 2,000 years ago, and He's walked the corners of this earth and the halls of eternity ever since with everything that you and I need in the history of mankind today. And listen to what He did. Listen to what he did. Jesus, referring not to a church, referring not to an individual, but referring to himself, and said, This Samaritan, which Jesus was saying was him, went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and took him to an end, and there he took care of him. Friend, can you remember? I can. When I lay stripped of my dignity, and lonely and alcoholic, I had nothing whatsoever to clothe my naked body or spirit with, and the church couldn't do the job for me. It could point me to Calvary. It could point me to the cross. But the church couldn't do the job for me. But Jesus came and bound up my wounds and poured in the oil and the wine and took care of me and set him on the old beast of burden and mounted the cross for me of shame and said, It's all right, son. I've taken care of you. The Bible says he bound up his wounds. That Samaritan, that Jesus came by the old ordered failed. A priest and a Levites uh, just looked at him and walked on their way and said perhaps uh, and he can't be he can't be bothered with him. And you know the thing that struck me in this, and it's it's historical proof, I suppose, that this man was a Jew. He was one of their own. If they should have had compassion on anybody, it should have been him. And I think it lets us know one thing. It lets us know that humanity without the presence of God in our life is not capable of compassion on anybody. And Jesus knew that. The only one that ever has any compassion whatsoever on our lives is that Samaritan, thank God, that Jesus had walked the sandy shores of Galilee. And friend, unless He inhabits our daily life every day, you and I do not have the capacity to have that kind of compassion upon humanity. As much as I want to, as much as I cry to, as much as I would like to stand here and say that compassion runs through me every day, I'm fully aware that unless I'm under the influence and the influx of the Holy Spirit, I do not have the compassion that I ought to have. It's only when I live under the influence of the Holy Ghost that dwells within me am I able to feel the compassion that man needs. And you just as well smile and grin because you know better than I am when it comes to that. You do not have the ability. Oh, those close. Those close, your family, your close friends, a little total stranger get himself in trouble out here. And there's a tinge, I suppose, a tinge of something. And I'm talking about compassion. I'm talking about something that would make us place our life in danger just to help them. Now then, these priests and Levites, we accuse them if we want to, but it was a lonely road, it's a desolate road. They were by themselves. They saw a man that had been waylaid, a man that had been almost killed, and who's to say the same ones that killed him wasn't still around. So hurriedly, they looked and said, Man, what a shame. 
What a shame. And we can say that. That's pity. That's not compassion. And there is a difference. And they passed by and said, what a shame. But I better get out of here because they may still be around. Now, the Levite, I suppose, uh, probably was uh, maybe the better of the two. Maybe, maybe he was worse. I don't know. Because at least he came and looked at him and said, well, he's almost dead. There's not much I can do about it. And be honest with me, friend. Haven't we looked sometimes when the devil has simply just waylaid people, stripped them of the righteousness, everything he had, left them half dead, uh, and we look at them and said, well, they're almost dead anyway. I don't see anything that I can do. And friend, that's humanity. That's you and that's me. And let me tell you something. There's a Samaritan that came on the scene 2,000 years ago, and he's been there ever since. And he says, I can do something about that. I will help him. I will bind up his wounds. And he said he bound up his wounds and he poured in oil and wine. Now, Ezekiel, or was it Jeremiah? I believe it was Jeremiah realized what the old order was. How failing it was. Because he cried out. Don't remember just exactly where, but you can find it. Whenever Judah was sick and Israel was sick, he cried out, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? How that balm was indicative of uh, oil and wine mixed together. Said, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there not a physician there? And if there is, why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovering? When he began to look out for it, what Jesus administered to that individual he poured in oil and he poured in wine. Wine was for the cleansing of the wound and oil was for the healing of the wound. And they're both symbolic of the Holy Ghost and there's not one of us that can give the Holy Ghost to anybody. It takes Jesus of Nazareth and His heart and heart in His soul and He has to come and administer the needs of a lost and a dying world that's lonely, that's desolate, that needs a touch from the Master. And let me tell you something, He's still walking the shore of this world and he still binds up wounds and he still has the oil and he still has the wine and he still cares about us and he'll still place us upon his own beast of burden and he mounted the cross bore the sins of us all and the burdens of all humanity and said Father forgive them for they know not what they do and he cried it is finished and salvation came and the burdens of all humanity he is and still was, was and still is upon his shoulders. Hallelujah. Well, glory. Hallelujah. Praise God, the Levite couldn't do it. Praise God, the priest couldn't do it. Humanity's wounded, hung to death. No man-made rituals or man-made laws can get the job done. No ideas and opinions no great stake in this thing. Be filled with the Holy Ghost until it's running out both ears and your mouth and you're still not going to be able to give it to anybody else. You can't do it. It takes but one friend and that one is identified as a Samaritan. Said, didn't we say well that you were a Samaritan? And Jesus turns and throws that right back in their teeth and said, yes, and a Samaritan's going to come and he's the only one that can heal your race and save the world from sin and unrighteousness. And he came 
and he came and he's here and he will be and he binds up wounds and he pours in the oil and the wine and oil of course can heal every open sore there is and wine can cleanse it there's no cleansing power apart from Jesus only he can supply this only he can supply this but notice he takes him places it on his own beast and brought him to an end. I like that. After Jesus took care of him, he brought him to an end. Greek word for that is panduchin. Panduchin in the Greek simply means a place of reception and a place of necessary use for the weary and the wounded travelers. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know where I'm going now? Praise the Lord. This is where the church comes in. Do you hear me? This is where the church comes in. We don't have the ability to take care of the wounds out there. We don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes to bind them up. Our compassion is too short in a sense. In fact, we don't have the ability to impart the Holy Ghost. That comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. And after He takes care of them, while they're still weak and in a weakened condition, He takes them, binds up their wounds, pours them in the oil, bears the burdens on the cross, and then deposits them in the church of the living God and says, you take care of them. Oh, thank God, you take care of them. After I've done all of this, hey, hallelujah, then it's your job to take care of them. And I like that. I like that. He said, and give out two pence, which was two days' wages. It might be symbolic meaning to the two days. I don't know. And he said, I'm going to come again. And he left two days' wages. And from what I can understand, it took a day's wages for each day that that individual was there. And friend, he said he would go away and he'd come again. And the Bible tells us at 2,000 years, a year today, he said, I'm going to deposit them in the church and let them take care of them until I come again. And brother, He's coming again as sure as I'm standing here. And in the meantime, we have the sick and the wounded and all those that Jesus has already poured in the oil and the wine. And he said, you take care of them. Do it on your own. Because he knew that we were just a group of people. He knew we were just a group of people. He knew we would never reach the apex that the world expected out of us or even that we expected out of ourselves. He knew that we would live under the mockery of individuals desiring or wanting us to be something that we ourselves had never accomplished. And we ourselves, probably the hardest individuals on ourselves that there is. I thought, thought, I felt a weight. I don't mind telling you I felt a weight when that thing like a bombshell you talk about being in darkness. That thing like a bombshell fell on me. My eyes were open. And Jesus said, I didn't tell you to do it. 
I didn't tell you to do it. I only told you to preach the gospel and I'd handle the rest of it. I didn't tell you to take care of the wounded and the dying. I didn't tell you to bind them up. I said I would and I'd put them there and everything they needed I've already paid for. And if they need anything else when I come I'll recompense you for it. Hallelujah. You don't do a thing for Jesus and what you get recompensed for it. Glory. Hallelujah. Well, are you mad, Paul? No, I'm not mad, but I feel something in my heart and in my soul. Hallelujah. To let me know that Jesus still knows I'm human and He still understands my frailties and He still don't expect what the world says He expects and what I say that He expects. Hallelujah. When I ministered this, and I have often, it caught my eye and I thought, God, I've... Heard that preached on and I preached on it. I made the identification with the Samaritan. I know what we ought to do. I know that there's wounded out there. I know that there's those that have been left for the devil half dead. I know this. And uh, then I said, God, I don't know. I don't know. I'm too weak. I'm too frail. I've tried my best to reach that apex that's needed in order to do this. I haven't been able to reach it and I don't know if I ever will or not. That's when he whispered the words. And he said, you're not the Samaritan anyway. I'm the Samaritan. I'm the one that can do this. I'm the only one that has the Holy Ghost. I'm the only one that can impart the oil and the wine. Friend, listen. If you have a wound this morning, Jesus can heal the wound. If you need cleansing this morning, Jesus can cleanse it. This church can't do it. And this preacher can't do it. Jesus can do it. And then He deposits us right in the middle of a church and a congregation. And He says, Now then, I've did all that was necessary. You just take care of them while I'm gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. While I'm gone, you take care of them. And he said, now, if you spend any more, how just is he? (laughs) If you have to give any more than what I've already provided, how humble is he? He knew there was no way we could give any more. But in case we become weary, and in case our hearts begin to flutter, and we begin to wonder if we've done enough, and we walk a second mile sometime, Jesus said, if this seems to be more than what I've left for you, if you seem to do more than what has already been arranged, you don't worry about it. You just keep taking care of them until I come. And if I owe anything, if there's anything owed, in other words, he's saying, reckon all their debts to me. Hallelujah. He still says that. Reckon the debts of the world to me. My blood has recompensed for them. You reckon their needs to me. If there's anything they need, I've already, here's two pence, two days wages. Here it is. I've already paid the price. The cross, friend, the cross. Had Samaritan mounted it, put us on his shoulders when he did, and I'm glad he did, when they nailed him to that rugged tree. Thank God I was there with him. He bore everything that I had. I sinned to the past. My sins of now and my sin to the future. And he mounted that cross of suffering and shame. And there he paid the price for everything that I need. 
And he said, I'll send you the power of the Holy Ghost. And that will take care of any needs that these people that I gather up out of the land of the living and the land of the dead. These powers that I give you will give you the strength enough to handle them until I come. Whatever is needed, he said, I will supply it. And I like that. I like that if we feel like that we've gone out of the way for somebody. Remember, Jesus paid the price. He paid it all, as the song says. He paid it all. I was a recipient of that. That Samaritan walked to me when I was wounded and desolate. When mankind could do nothing for my disease. When my life was on edge, spiritually and naturally. When the preachers couldn't help me. And the saints couldn't help me. And the church couldn't help me. In a sense, that Samaritan walked down that lonely road where this old drunken lay and sick a body and picked him up and bound up his wounds and poured in the oil and the wine and put him in a church and said, let them take care of you hallelujah and they've done it ever since glory 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 hallelujah let's worship God for the Samaritan that journeyed that day hallelujah hallelujah something else maybe we need to look at it let us know that the Levites and the priests was just by chance happened that way just by chance happened that way and it lets you know that that Samaritan was on a journey. In other words, he had a particular purpose in mind. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was going to do when he got there. And as he was on his journey, he saw wounded mankind and paid the price for him and bound up his wounds and poured in the oil and poured in the wine and bore his burdens and took him to that place. Thank God that end. Hallelujah. Where... He had set apart for traveling weary, wounded strangers, our citizens, and said, here, take care of them until I come. I wondered about that. As I looked at it, can we fulfill this awesome responsibility? I realize I can't give you the Holy Ghost. I can't bind up your wounds. I don't know how. I can't depart to you anything that will do you any good. And I can tell you about that Samaritan that is still turning in the world today. And I can tell you, if you're hurt, he'll bind up your wounds. If you're lonely, he'll take care of you. If you're sick unto death, he has the answer. Oh yes, there he is, Mormon Gilead. There he is, a physician there. Jesus of Nazareth standing there waiting and desiring, and reaching, and compassion flooding his soul as he reaches down and sees us and picks us up. How many of us here, when he found us, was wounded? Can I see your hands? Stripped, had very little dignity left, and left for dead. The world says they'll never be any They'll never amount a thing. And the religious system of that day passed them by. But Jesus, on a journey, knew where he was going, knew what he was going to do, found him. He found you, and he found me. And he said, now look, 
I can't be with you. He's been gone almost those two days now. This church in this weakened condition, every church of all ages, has floundered sure. But it's did its best to keep those that Jesus committed unto them. Did its best. And he's almost ready to come again. And he's saying to us, now look, if you feel like you went the second mile, you feel like I didn't leave enough, you don't feel cheated. Because when I come, I'll take care of anything. God, I will charge it all to me. That's what he's telling you, church. Whenever you have to go out of your way, charge it to Jesus. He's already left it here, whatever you need. The wages you earn has already been paid. And if you need any more, and I'm wondering if we can fulfill this awesome responsibility to strangers that Jesus picks up out of the drunken alley, out of Skid Row, in the houses of prostitution or just simply a lonely citizens been waylaid by the powers of hell. And Jesus picks them up, takes care of them, takes care of the wounds, bears their burdens on the cross, and then deposits them in a church. Said, here now, you take care of them. You see, saints, we are not the Samaritan, but we are the inn where Jesus made a place for weary and wounded travelers. Traveling a road that's dangerous. road that's filled with thieves. A road where you see them wounded and dying every day. But the old order passed away. And Jesus says, now, I'm telling you this. The ones that you represent, and that was a lawyer, right in with him. The ones that you represent passed him by. But that one, that you're going to crucify and call him all sorts of names and buffet him, he'll pick him up. Pick me up one day. And he paid all of my fare. Put me in a church. Told him to take care of me. Now, in this end, they don't have the best things in the world. They don't have modern-day equipment. You ought to see it. But it was a place out of the weather. And in this end was people, qualified people that cared. Couldn't provide them everything they wanted. But they were safe from the storms. They were safe from the thief. Hallelujah. And they were taken care of until they got strong enough to go and finish their journey. Now then, closing. I wonder sometimes. I wonder. I wonder sometimes if we've ever recognized that when Jesus deposits somebody in here that he didn't ask us whether they were supposed to be or not. He just said they're lonely. They were failed by the enemy. And they needed help. And I took care of them. 
And I've established the church, and that's what the church's purpose of being established for was. Not only proclamation of the gospel, going in the highways, byways, and hitches, but it's a place where Jesus leaves those he's taken care of and charges us with the responsibility of seeing that they get up on their feet before the enemy can knock them down again. Tell me, Stan.